Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. We want you to know that during COVID, we're holding one big service outdoors and we'd love for you to join us whenever you can. And now, here's our teaching for this week. We hope it leads you to encounter the way of Jesus more fully. Hi, everybody. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here at Sunridge. So if you're just checking us out online or by podcast, I want to let you know that uh, we pre-record this message uh, during the week, and yet our church meets on Sunday morning, 1030 uh, and we're meeting outdoors right now in one big service, all the families together, and uh, we'd love to invite you out to come to be a part of that. And also, I want to say hi to all the Sundridge people. You know, you're my people, and many of you uh, still aren't ready to come back, even outside, and we totally get it. And we are looking forward to being together again with you. And the last few weeks, I've just been trying to give a shout out to some of our Sundridge people that I know are listening every week. But you know, can't make it to the service. So Nora, Nora, I just want to say hi to you if you're listening or watching. We're, we miss you, and we're really looking forward to being back in church in a normal way. And hopefully sooner than later, we'll keep you posted on that. You guys, we are dropping into the last of the Sermon on the Mount. I was just talking to Danny, who's filming he, me uh, here right now. And we this will be 21 messages, probably the longest series that I've done at Sunridge except for uh, King David, the Renaissance man. So, uh, and I, I have to tell you, I'm really sad to see this go. I promise you we'll talk about Jesus more, but um, you know, this has been such a great series, even though it's been so challenging. So um, this is the wrap up, uh, Jesus's closing remarks to this quintessential teaching of his. We're in Matthew 7, verse 27. I'm gonna read that, or verse 24, I'm gonna read. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one, having, as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. You know, I know uh, for most of you, this passage is super familiar in this parable. You're, you've read so many times and heard it. I wonder, like, what is your earliest collection of this section, a recollection of this scripture? I can tell you that I didn't grow up in church, but Cindy and I, my wife, in our early married years before we were in ministry, we volunteered in uh kids Sunday school and kids church. And I can remember using flannel graph, uh, bring it back flannel graph to teach this. And then there was a song that went with it. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock and the rain came tumbling down. And there were signs with this, like hand motions, like, oh, the rains came down and the floods came up. 
You remember this. Are you with me right now? And uh, the rains came down and the floods came up and the wise man's house stood strong. I know that uh, my singing career is uh, not really going to take off after that. But for you, maybe for me, certainly there are great memories there. But what I want to do in this teaching is deliberate this this parable from that kid's version. And I know that familiarity may here not breed contempt, but it can breed apathy. So, you know, it's easy to look at a text like this and say, oh, I know this. I know where he's going to head with this. But I want each of you who are listening right now, as I tried to in studying this passage, to give it our best shot to see it through fresh eyes and to see what God may have for us. We are closing out this methodical walk that we've taken through the Sermon on the Mount. It is the most important sermon ever given, and Jesus has Costco-packed all of his ideas and ethics together in this one message. And he's had a lot of things to say in his life. You know, we have four biographies called the Gospels, but we have all of it here in just three chapters. So these teachings are foundational, and they, as we've said before, they are the lens that we should read the entire Bible through. The letters in the New Testament that follow this as you read through your Bible rely on the Sermon on the Mount, and they are echoes of Jesus' voice. There are echoes of Jesus' voice as it travels over the hills there and to our audience's ears today over the years. Even though this teaching comes centuries later than the Old Testament, even it is meant to be viewed through what Jesus says here. And you know, every sermon has an outline, that is every good sermon. And uh, there's an outline here that has been part of the Sermon on the Mount. Every sermon should have an introduction that captures the audience's interest. In this one, it was my singing. and uh, But it's the place where the speaker says to the audience, this is why you need to know this. It gets interest in Jesus began with the Beatitudes where he he's basically saying, what I'm about to say is really different. And then he shocks them by saying, I am the one that your scriptures speak of. After the introduction is the thesis, and that's the main point. And it's always best if you can sum up your main point in one sentence. I tried to do that with my messages, Jesus's was this, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And that thesis is followed up by the main body, the support of that thesis. It's the why, it's the how, it's the instructions. And after Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, he gives 14 teachings. There's 14 things that he buttresses that idea with. Six of them were what we called the antitheses. And you can check our messages in our archive to the series. Um, There are 14 teachings that, that Jesus uses to support this main idea. And then there's the close. And the close is the thing that wraps everything up and ties it all together. And most often in a sermon, it calls for a response or some type of action. And that's where we are in this sermon. Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount with three warnings, as we said, that are made of three pairs. There were two gates that we can choose from, a wide and a narrow one. There are two deceptions, the external deception and self-deception. 
And then today we'll see that there are two builders who built on different foundations, one on rock, one on sand. And each of these pairs proposes a binary choice. It's this or that. And Jesus is asking in these wrap-up stories, what are you going to do? How, how are we going to live and who are we going to follow? And this is the last of those closing thoughts. It's the wrap-up to the whole sermon. It's the wrap-up to the wrap-up, if you will. But before we jump in, let's consider something together. I want you to look at this statement I'm going to put in the screen. We are drowning in information. Do you agree or disagree with that statement? In 1982, futurist in inventor Buckminster, Buckminster Fuller estimated that up until about 1900, human knowledge doubled approximately every century, every 100 years. But by 1945, he said that it was doubling every 25 years. And then by 1982, it was doubling every 12 to 13 months. And now in 2021, it is doubling, take a guess, will you? Every 12 hours. And the question is, is all this information making us smarter? When did all this happen? When did it start? Was it the printing press or the internet? A number of sociologists believe that this overwhelming amount of information that comes at us started with the invention of the telegraph, actually. For the first time, information could travel at lightning speed across America. See, before, you would have lived in a community across the country and perhaps maybe a hundred people or so, and it would be, your community would be made of ranchers and farmers and little towns. And in that context, information traveled by word. And if Farmer Brown in your town was trampled by his plow horse, you would hear about it. But when you heard about it, there would be no editorials about it or hashtags or lectures or podcasts on, on plow horses or criticism of Farmer John's uh, farming practices and means made up about that. What would happen when you heard that is the entire community would come together. And you would do something about what you knew, whether it was bad news or disasters. But now, in the world that we're living in, you think about, like, we're so much more knowledgeable about the world. Is that good? Well, yes and no, because you can have too much of a good thing. I know you get that. Have you ever heard of hypervitaminosis? That is basically to overdose on vitamins. And about 60,000 cases happen each year in America and a handful of deaths. Basically, it's like you take too many vitamins, and often this is connected to um, fat-soluble vitamins like vitamin A that your body can't get rid of the extra. And so information, I think, has become like that. We're like overwhelmed with information. In fact, I have a little more information for you to put in your noggin right now. Have you heard of this term, infowhelm? I know you probably get it, it's information fatigue. And we're all experiencing that. It's like we have zero ability to do anything about what we see and know, at least we think that way. 
And that fact affects our moods and our ability to empathize. We know so much, so much more than our parents and their parents, and certainly exponentially more than their parents. But we can't translate it into our lives. And that is also complicated by how much misinformation comes our way. Like Pavlov's dogs, we've become conditioned to receiving a vast amount of information, much of it bad, sometimes being moved even by that information, but then doing nothing. In other words, we have more information than ever before. We are overwhelmed by all of that information, but we keep taking more in, and we've just become used to doing nothing about that information. So where am I going with this? What does it have to do with this last story that Jesus tells? Well, in verse 24, Jesus says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus says that anyone who hears and practices, poeo, say that out loud if you're watching or driving somewhere listening, poeo, it means to do, to act. It's a physical response. And this word poeo is used in all three of Jesus' wrap-up comments. In Matthew seven nineteen, when he talked about the fruit that is on trees, he says, every tree that does not bear good fruit, that's every tree that does not poeo, good fruit. In verse 21 of Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will, poeo, the, the will of my Father in heaven. And in verse 24 here, he says, whoever hears these words and poeos them, puts them into practice, is like a wise person. All three warnings in the close of this sermon that Jesus gives say this, it's not enough to just hear it or to talk about it. We have to poeo it. We have to obey it. Conversely, in verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not poeo them is like a foolish person who built his house on sand. Now, Jesus' description here is not that it's good or bad or that those that do are in heaven and those that don't are not. He says the one who puts his teaching, poeos his teaching, into practice is wise. And the one who hears only is foolish. Moros is the word from which we get moron. Let me put it this way. Have you ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, those who hear Jesus' words but do not do? Morons! What sermon cannot be complete? What sermon isn't complete without a Princess Bride reference? Shout out to all of you who got that. Those of you who don't, you should watch the movie. Here, Jesus does not contrast good and bad in the parable, but the wise and the foolish. And so, what Jesus is saying in this sermon his teaching is about how life is meant to be lived, who we're aiming at becoming. And he gives them this vivid, vivid image 
from their everyday lives. To only hear, he says, is like building a home on sand. Verse 27, and the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. See, Jesus' listeners right then, they, they all have this story in their memory. They can relate. They know someone who lost a home to a flash flood or maybe even their own. Remember, this is a time before building codes and ISO flood zone designations of low, moderate, and high-risk areas. You know, in, in development, there are areas where they predict they can predict a 100-year flood or every 500 years of flood and how, what the level of that flooding will be and the percent of chance of that happening in the next amount of time. And in this region that Jesus is in, it's a dry and arid country and with a sudden downpour that they would have in their rainy season, there's water in places where there was never water before or in a very long time, perhaps even in their memory. And over the years uh, that I was in the fire department, I would go on what we call a swift water rescue. And these are areas that are like dry riverbeds or even roads that up in the desert that typically doesn't get rain, but when it rains hard, these areas are flooded and people were accustomed to driving across that area or they, they, couldn't, they couldn't really determine how deep that water was and they took a chance and the water sweeps their car or them down river and it would require us to rescue them in a good story. And here in this region, a home would be built for years it would stand, but eventually there was a storm that would come. And maybe these two homes, as Jesus tells the story, these two builders are like, they're right next door to each other. And they look similar for many, many years. But then that storm comes, and the way Jesus puts it, it fell with a great crash. It's mega, a mega crash. It was mega loud. And his listeners maybe were like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember when that happened. I remember Joseph, Joseph and Mary's house. It used to be right over there. Remember when that storm came through? Do you remember being awakened in the middle of the night to that haunting sound as their house broke loose and disintegrated in the swirling water and pieces of it floated down the wash? See, for them... Their homes were more than, it was more than just a house. It was, Jesus is using a metaphor of life because to them, their home, their house, their residence was their life. Their land and homes were ancestral. They were multi-generational. So you grew up in the same house probably that your parents did. And you moved into that house when you got married or you built on the same land. Many people ran their business from their home. And so it's more than a house that Jesus is talking about. Your house symbolized your life. And, you know, for years you can't tell the difference between these houses or their lives. For every day their lives look the same. They stopped in at the same Starbucks and they drove a nice car to church. Their kids laugh and are dressed really cute. And they posted pictures of super fun vacations and all their couple selfies show their smiley heads right next to each other until the moment of truth. 
the flood. But Jesus doesn't say why they built where they did or why they didn't dig down and make a strong foundation. Maybe they just said, you know, I'm too busy. I'm tired. I prefer another way of life. Maybe they were just distracted or they weren't willing to put the time in. Maybe the price was too high to build the house the right way. And besides, everyone around them were building homes in exactly the same way and in exactly the same place that they were. Jesus doesn't tell us any of those details. He just lets us fill in the blanks. By the way, it's not always that our that the house is swept away by one catastrophic event. Sometimes it is a slow erosion. I wonder how many of you that are watching or listening right now, you can remember the flood, the Temecula flood of 1993. Cindy and I moved out here in 1989, and I can remember fire engines rescuing people from the skating rink in Old Town. And in that flood, I had my own little crisis because I put in my backyard and I was meticulous about it. And I put in drains, as you do in Temecula, in your backyard and ran the pipes all the way around. Except over the couple of years that we had the house, we got kind of lazy. And I used to trim the grass away from those drains, but I said, ah, you know. It didn't really rain that much, so I kind of let it go. And during that big rain in 1993, I saw that water creeping up my patio, and it got within inches of our back door. And eventually I found myself out in the backyard with a stick poking around to try and find those drains and then pulling the grass away from them so that the water went down. It did work, by the way. But let me be clear here, when we walk, we walk the way of Jesus because it's the best way, the way God intended for us to live. Sometimes it's hard, but not to is even harder. There's much more hardship in not following Jesus than in following him. But I don't want to live by Jesus' ethic just so that I can survive when life hits the fan. Jesus is pointing out that the storms of life are revealing, so pay attention. Being apathetic or casual about how we live can give us a false sense of security. And we will get away with it for a while like other things, like debt or poor diet or lack of exercise or flossing or rotating your tires, but eventually it catches up to you. And every year that we ignore it or let it go or deny it, something erodes. When we allow other things to crowd out the way of Jesus in our lives, like greed or debt, appearance, bitterness, politics, comfort, cultural Christianity, or even our own apathy, the storms will eventually come and they reveal what we've been up to. I've talked in recent weeks about my good buddy, Trot, that died of cancer. And just before he went into his brain surgery, um, and after that, he wasn't really Trot anymore. He never really bounced back from that. He said to his wife, Sherry, he had been really sick for a couple of months. 
And they were, she was quite discouraged. So was he, I'm sure. But he said to her, death is as much a stewardship as his life. It's like when the storm came in his life, what it revealed is that his house was really built on something substantial. So, a wrap-up to the wrap-up. Just two thoughts that I want to bring out. Number one, I think what Jesus is saying here is knowing is not doing. It's important that we see the difference. He says that hearing without practicing is foolish, moronic. More than foolish, it leads to disaster. You know, that thought is reflected in many New Testament teachings. For example, in James's writing, James 1.22, he says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. I, can't you hear echoes of this section of Scripture, the section that in the Sermon on the Mount? Paul writes in 2 Timothy as to why we even have Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for what? For every good work. And Luke's recollection of this teaching in this parable begins with this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? See, Christianity reflects the same infowhelm of our modern culture. And I can't tell you how often I've heard from Christians and indeed probably said it myself, I need to know more, I need to go deeper, but I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to be generous, never step outside of my safe little circle, never going to reflect the gospel in my life, never going to be intentional. You know, that's what Jesus is being brutally honest here. The main point, the thesis of the Sermon on the Mount is lost on many, no matter how much they know. But here's the problem, Christian, Jesus follower, all of us, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus tells us in this sermon 14 times, in 14 different ways, what that means. And then he tells us this story. Jesus' vision then of life in the kingdom is not just an ideology or a doctrinal statement. See, we do Christianity with our brains and our bodies. In fact, Doing Jesus is more like a sport. If you told me that you were a baseball player, but you never played baseball, wouldn't it be fair for me to ask you, well, are you really a baseball player? I mean, sure, every Sunday you listen to a talk about baseball and you watch baseball constantly. You learn about it sometimes daily. You listen to podcasts and you watch videos. You may even put on a uniform every Sunday morning and read books about baseball almost daily. And you wake up early to read and meditate about playing baseball. And then you meet in groups and talk about baseball, the best way to play, how others play. And you think about baseball a lot. You talk about baseball. But you never put on a glove and take the field with the team. Or you never pick up a bat to take a few swings. We never see you on the field, only in the stands with a hot dog and a churro. 
Are you a baseball player? What are you? That would be a fan, but not a player. And some of us are fans of Jesus, but not players. We know a lot about baseball, but we're not going to play in the game. We can talk a lot about baseball, and, many, and, and many, maybe people admire for us for how much we know about the game. And we may even love going to the ballpark and singing songs. And we love the rally monkey, but we don't play. You know, I'm not even talking about being a good player because the standard in baseball is really low. If you hit 300, you make the all-star team. That's really only being successful a third of the time. On the other hand, there's someone who just recently discovered baseball. They don't know that much. But in every inning, they put on their glove and they run out on the field. You know, sometimes a ball drops right next to them or goes through their legs like Smalls and Sandlot. That's two movie references, by the way, in this message. And when it's their turn, they pick up a bat and step up to the plate and they swing for the fences. Sometimes they fail, but they go down swinging. And maybe people criticize how they play. They're doing it all wrong, according to their critics. And maybe they should have been cut. And maybe they really shouldn't even be on the team. But they're playing the game. Jesus said in verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So knowing is not doing. And the last thought is this. Jesus' goal is not to inform us, but to transform us. See, there's a big difference between gathering more information and transformation. Jesus has not called us just to be virtuous or knowledgeable or even to quote scripture. We are called to be disciples. And Jesus is ultimately and fundamentally calling us to become a certain kind of person. That's why we've spent the last 21 weeks on the Sermon on the Mount going through it slowly and carefully. We say here at Sunridge that our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus, and we've always been about that. And that continual finding and following Him involves transformation in us. Ruth Haley Barton, in her book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, a book that our staff is reading right now, says this, Spiritual formation is the process by which Christ is formed in us for the glory of God, for the abundance of our own lives, and for the sake of others. And you know, the only way that happens is if we're intentional about how we're being formed and what we do with that transformation. That's why when we started this series of the Sermon on the Mount, Jed kicked it off. We started with the end in mind. It's, the same, it's like the same concept of like pulling up directions to where we want to go on our, on our smartphones, putting in our destination from the beginning. And when you plug that in, you see the overview of your trip. And it's only then, knowing where you're going, that all the twists and turns and delays and reroutes make sense. So when is the last time you took in information about your faith? 
And then when is the last time that you saw transformation? Do you get it? This section of scripture closes with a sermon critics review. In verse 28, when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. They were amazed at his teaching. He taught differently than they had ever heard. He taught, Matthew says here, with authority. You see, the rabbinic style then was to quote others who had come before them. And it was the names that you dropped as you taught that gave you your authority. It gave you your, your credibility or validity. And that's what we do. That's what I do. But Jesus is like, do this. The authority came from who he was, his life, his words, and his father. That would have been a major name drop, by the way. But when they heard him, they were just blown away. And when Jesus concluded this sermon, the crowd bursts into applause, basically because they had never heard anything like this. I love the way the message puts it. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying, quite a contrast to their religion teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. So how do you take a quintessential sermon, the most astonishing teaching of that time, how do you bring that to a close? Well, today we would use a heartfelt story or a list of things to do. We would tell you to sign up for a group or volunteer or just come back and join us next week. But here's how Jesus ends it, just to remind you. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain came down, streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And then he drops the mic. If you're a searcher, by that I mean if you're someone who, like, you're trying to figure out what is true Christianity, and you're trying to decide about Jesus and all the noise that's going on in our world today, can I just, as I've done in the past, encourage you to spend some time in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and read these teachings because this will lead you to know the real Jesus. And I also would just encourage you to like do that with another someone that you know as a Christian. Ask them to do it with you. And then for those of us who are listening or watching, and we would say, I'm a Christian. I'm, I intend to follow the way of Jesus. Can we build our lives on practicing the ethic, the way of Jesus, as he has just laid out? That's our calling. It's incredibly difficult. It's impossible. We will fail at it every day, whether you're a pastor or a carpenter or a fireman. Um. It will be the thing that you work on 
that you train for, that you invest your time and energy in intentionally, the thing that you look for the Spirit's power in your life, you will do that the rest of your life. That's our calling. And it will be a pursuit that will take an entire lifetime. But it is the way of Jesus. Will we follow it? Let me pray for you, and then uh, we'll wrap this up. God, thank you for the challenging and life-giving words of Jesus here. And as he's like just so brutally honest in this story at the end, I pray that those of us who need that push would hear it and that we would begin to focus our lives in a way intentionally to actually put your words into practice. And for those that are searching God, I pray that you would allow them to encounter a Christian who is interested in their spiritual welfare and um, that your spirit would work in their hearts and their lives to reveal the truth to them. That's our prayer. Amen. Thank you for listening or watching. We'll see you next week. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need help with something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. Or if you'd like to know more about us, just go to our website, sunridgechurch.org, and you'll know what to do from there. We hope you'll listen in again next week. But in the meantime, wherever you go, deepen faith, bring hope, and live love.